The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. We hear from so many of our listeners that they're feeling no longer relevant, no longer competitive. They worry that a lot of what they've been doing in the past just isn't working anymore. If you're worried about what's not working and why it's not working, we've brought Bruce Turkel to answer those questions. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. How great to hear your voice. Hey, listen, we know each other a long time. Uh, You have been uh, so deeply helpful to me and uh, I so much value our friendship. So, uh, What's going on in the world that has just changed and turned so many things upside down? You know, I think we have hit an inflection point and people are feeling it, but they're not starting yet to know what it is. And if you look back at the history, really the history of mankind, you know that we go through ages, right? We had the Stone Age and then we had the Iron Age and then we had the Bronze Age and then we had the Age of Enlightenment and then we had the Industrial Age. And most recently, of course, we've been in the Information Age. But I think the information age has now led us to a new epoch. I believe we are in what I call the post-functional age. It's the first time in history where what we do, our jobs, our skill sets, our talents, our licenses, all those things have now become cost of entry because the democratization of information, the communication, the worldwide communication that the internet allows means that competition can come from everywhere and our customers, our clients, our consumers and our communities can buy what we sell lots of different places. Is the, are the other offerings as good as ours? Of course not. We know that, but our customers don't. And so just being able to do your job and do it really well is no longer enough. That's, that's now table stakes. Exactly right. It's ante. You know, you go to Vegas, you sit at the table, you put down that ante, you get in the game. You don't win the game and you don't necessarily play well. You got to put it down. If you don't put it down, you don't even get to play. And I think the function, the logistics, the operations that we provide as businesses today are table stakes. So so let's just break this in a couple of pieces. So the table stakes or the cost of entry is being good at your business. Whatever your business is, you have to be good at it. That's the, that, that doesn't get you anything. Now, above and beyond that, what does the next level look like? So the next level in the old days was called persona, reputation, marketing, branding. You pick whatever term you want. 
But today, I think it goes a step further. Today, it's not enough to be known for something, the best at this, the best at that. What has to happen today is that the people you do business with have to identify with what you're doing in their lives. They have to understand that having you involved makes their lives, their businesses, their relationships, whatever you're offering, makes that better. You no longer talk about what you do. You talk about how what you do changes them. So... What's the difference between that and the old features and benefits kind of discussion? Because they, they sound pretty similar. Yeah, it's a great question. So features used to be exactly that. It's features. Here's what we got. Here's our hours. Here's our computers. Here's our trucks. Here's our style. Say habla espanol, right? And then benefits used to be, what's the advantage of doing business with us? Because of our features, we deliver on time or because of our features, you'll enjoy the meal more or because of our features, you'll look better or you'll make more on your investments or whatever. So that was step two. Features led to benefits. Now I'm suggesting that benefits need to lead to self-actualization, that the customer has to understand not what the features are and not what the benefits are, but what's in it for them. So the features, they're, they're going to find those features on the internet. They're going to research that before they ever get on the phone with you, before they ever talk to you, before they ever buy anything, contemplate, whatever. They're going to do that by themselves. So really the two steps, instead of it being features benefits, it's really benefits and self-actualization. It's a very interesting point. Go into that self-actualization thing a little bit more. How do you draw a line between benefit and what's in it for me? Sure. So think of something, a product that you love. If you're into cars, it could be a BMW or Porsche or Mercedes. If you're a camera fanatic, it's Nikon. If you're a guitar player, maybe it's Gibson or whatever, whatever it is for you. And by the way, those things go across all different activities and interests, right? So pick one. Okay. So let's use guitars, for example. So Gibson makes a guitar that Eric Clapton designed. Eric Clapton's name is on it. It is the Eric Clapton model. If you're a really good guitar player and you pick up an Eric Clapton guitar, here's the dirty secret. You don't play guitar like Eric Clapton. You don't play guitar any better than if you would play any other guitar. However, it reminds me of when we were kids and they would show us those uh, commercials with the kids with those tennis shoes on. It would make them run run faster, jump higher. (laughs) Yeah, flyers, exactly, or kids, whatever. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's like getting the basketball, the shoes that Michael Jordan wore. Joel, I'm six, four and a half. I can't touch the rim. It doesn't matter matter what sneakers I put on. Yeah. Put those on, you feel better about yourself. Okay. So where's the, what's the feature? What's the benefit? What's the self-actualization? Give it. Cause if you're making three buckets, just help us understand what pieces fit in each bucket. Perfect. So the feature is the product itself. We just talked about Michael Jordan sneakers. So it's the leather, it's the rubber, it's the laces, it's the way it's done. The benefit is theoretically you jump higher, you're a better player. The self-actualization is that I am achieving my aspirations because I'm using this product. So is that that you feel better about yourself, that your self-esteem is better? All of that. I think that the overwhelming issue in our society today is exactly that, self-esteem and a self-consciousness because of everything around us. I mean, look at Facebook. Facebook is now 
an opportunity for everyone we know to show us how awesome they are. Right. Here I am. Or, or how needy they are. <laughs> well, you, you know, you can take that any way you like. However, the pictures are here. I am being awesome. Here I am in France being awesome. Here I am water skiing being awesome. Oh, look, my buddy Joel took a picture of me being awesome. And we are surrounded by that 24 7, 365. And if you look at what's happened with media onslaught, you look at what's happened with the democratization of information, we are constantly bombarded with these things to the point where most consumers are saying, I'm not worthy. I can't live up to this. And because we are in a commercialized consumerist society, argue it's good or bad on your own dime. That's not what we're talking about here. But because of that, we use products to tell the world who we are. We used to say that a good brand makes you feel good. But today, a great brand makes you feel good about yourself. Here's what I just heard you say, which is really interesting to me, is that we're watching all these other people on Facebook. So we're kind of feeling cruddy about ourselves. And so we're using products to feel better about ourselves to compensate for how Facebook and our friends are making us feel. Is that pretty close? Yeah, it's a little more negative than I was trying to put it. But yes, absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting insight, because if we understand that's the insight, then we can kind of plan around that. We kind of use that in some of our in some of our objectives. Right. Well, I should hope so. The idea is no longer to market ourselves. It's too expensive and the numbers don't work. The idea is to get other people to market for us. So, for example, you wrote that great book, Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. Yeah. You can go out and market it. You can say, hey, if you want to stop hustling gigs, if you want to build a business, read my book. And you're going to reach me. I don't know how many listeners you have on this program. I don't know how many web, uh, how many Facebook followers you have and on and on and on. And you'll get those people. You'll get a percentage of them. However, I've read your book. And I posted it on all the things I do. I send out 28,000 blog lists every week. I have 240,000 followers on LinkedIn. It's a hell of a lot more profitable for you to get me to market your book. Now, you and I are buddies, and I thought your book was awesome. I do that naturally. You do that for me. But there's a much bigger audience out there of people who say, oh, my God, Joel Block changed my life showed me how to be more profitable, showed me how to profit from the inside, gave me all this input. I should tell the rest of the world about that because it makes me look good to promote Joel. Look awesome, by the way. Makes look you look awesome. awesome. <laughs> the word I was looking for, yes. You know, the other thing that it does is you get this third-party endorsement, which is sort of a uh, – uh, that, that that's a very, very powerful thing, those third-party endorsements. So when people share your content – uh, it really has a real high impact on the receivers, I imagine, too, right? Yes, exactly right. Today, that word is called social proof. And I can give you a great example. When I was on um, um, Fox Business and Fox News all the time, I was on, uh, I just forgot his name, the guy everybody hates on that show. It's all the guy. <laughs> O'Reilly. I was just on O'Reilly's show four times. But one of the quote, one of the video clips that I got was Bill O'Reilly pointing at me and saying, Mr. Turkel, you are wrong again, and wagging his finger. And you think, why would you ever use that to promote yourself? But I used it all the time, because if you, the viewer, love Bill O'Reilly, you see him say that, and you go, oh, Bill O'Reilly, look what he's doing. He's beating you up. Isn't that great? 
And if you hate Bill O'Reilly, you say, oh, my God, Bill O'Reilly, what a jerk. Look what he's doing beating you up. It doesn't matter which side you come to it from. And by the way, my personal opinion of the guy never even comes into the conversation. It's what you think about him and therefore how that rubs off on me. So then what do you say to your friend? You go, hey, my buddy Bruce Turkel, man, Bill O'Reilly, you really beat the crap out of him. Or you say, my buddy Bruce Turkel, wow, he stood up to Bill O'Reilly while Bill O'Reilly was being a jerk, right? It doesn't matter. But what happens is you get to tell your friend that your buddy Bruce does business with Bill O'Reilly. The other thing then, of course, is that it creates this enormous curiosity and that people are going, I, I got to see what happened. I, you know, because curiosity killed the cat. And I, I think that for selling, curiosity is the greatest thing that there is. A great point. Tell me more. Exactly. Because you tell me more. Here's what we have to understand. They don't want to hear more about you. They want to hear more about themselves. Yeah. Does that mean that we've become a very narcissistic society? Is that like a bad thing? Or I mean, listen, you're you're a marketing expert. Is this just a marketing observation or, or do we really have a problem as a society? No, because the word becomes suggests that we weren't narcissistic before. We absolutely were narcissistic. What's changed is that the ability of products to fulfill our needs has become ubiquitous because of computerization. Nowadays, everything works. It used to be that a Mercedes-Benz or a Volvo was a better automobile. You bought them because they lasted longer. They performed better. That's no longer true. You cannot convince me today that a Mercedes-Benz is better at getting me from point A to point B than a Kia, a Hyundai, or anything else. So in the old days, pre-internet, pre-computer, we had to worry about function. And therefore, we bought products because of what they said about us, but also because of how they performed. Today, all products perform. When was the last time you had to buy a new TV because the old one didn't work? You remember when we were kids? Your grandparents had a TV with like a vice grip on the phone because the dial had broken and they stuck. They used the pliers to change. Right? Remember Don't you remember I, in those old days, I was the remote control. <laughs> I was the right. Your dad would say, Joe, get up and change the channel. Exactly. And then and then I was the guy that I had to stand there and hold the rabbit ears because they would they would fall over. That's right. I was the antenna because my dad was watching the game and I had to hold the antenna out the window. And by the way, it had tinfoil hanging on it. And it had a wire coat hanger. That doesn't happen anymore. Why? There's no reason to buy a new television, but the TV companies need you to. So they develop 1040p and HD and art TV. But those are, but those are features, right? So how do they turn those into benefits and then self-actualization? How do they do that? Okay. Perfect example. We have one of those big flat screens in our house. It's hanging up on the wall. And the truth is, I don't like it very much. I don't care one way or the other about how it works as a TV. It works fine. But the problem is, I don't like having a television in my living room. I think it looks cheesy. So I look at different ways to hide it. I could put a painting over it. But my wife doesn't like that because she's got to take it down every time she's going to watch it. Um, I could have a cabinet that it can disappear into. But I don't want another cabinet there. Now, Samsung just came out with something called Art TV. And instead of the old fashioned Samsung's like the monitor on my computer that says Samsung in big letters or Sony. In fact, the Sony one even lights up. So people know you have a Sony. The Samsung art TV has no logos on it actually has a picture frame and a mat around it. And you can put up a piece of art onto the television. All of those things you would say are features. 
I would say they're self-actualization tools because I'm now able to say I'm so sophisticated, I'm so aesthetically minded that I don't have a TV hanging in my living room. I have artwork hanging in my living room. It is manifest through features. It is, I, I enjoy it because of the benefits, but the reason I paid the money when my old TV is perfectly serviceable was self-actualization. I am not the kind of person that has a television in my living room. So <laughs> does this make you feel awesome or does it make you look awesome to your friends? Which one do you well, think? In this case, I would say it's for me. Um, only because I haven't had anybody come over to see it. And if they do, they don't even notice it because we have other paintings on the wall. Because it's, so, it's so awesome. But no one says, oh, that's awesome. Your TV looks like artwork. But what they might think is, wow, he doesn't have a television in his living room. That's so tacky. I don't think so. You know, the way that a person would probably say it that would be very good is, hey, Bruce, that's really cool. You know, when somebody says something is very cool, that's kind of their way of saying that you're kind of awesome that you have this cool thing, you know? So in a certain way, that's how you accomplish that. That's how you know that you're getting the feedback uh, that you're on the right track. So, you know, this, this is really interesting. And this, this whole show is about delivering the inside track and how companies profit from the inside track, which we call profit from the inside, which by the way, Bruce Turkel, our guest today came up with that name. He delivered that to me uh, a couple of years ago and, and I am just forever appreciative to him for that. So this show is, you know, is because of him in a certain way, but really what we're talking about is having this third dimension of product viability is really, that's the inside track. I mean, I, I've really never heard anybody describe this before. Is this well-known in marketing circles or is this just something that hasn't trickled down to us? Well, if you go all the way back to Maslow and his hierarchy of means, and you know the, the pyramid and he talks yeah. about how first you have to feed yourself and clothe yourself and then you move up and up and up and up. At the very top of the pyramid, he calls it self-actualization. So it has been around for a while, but what what I think the big paradigm shift for all of us is that we have spent our lives making our businesses better, learning our skill sets, figuring out how to sell, putting together our marketing plans, putting together our distribution models, setting up our logistics, our operations. That's where we focused our businesses. And anybody who is successful and therefore listens to your show or listens to your show and is therefore successful, however you choose to look at it. They've spent their time focusing on those things. And what's keeping them up at night now, what I'm finding is people are saying, I still have awesome products. I still deliver on time. I still have great customer service, but I'm losing market share. And people are just going on Amazon and buying it, or they're just going here and buying it. And the reason is because we have not developed these relationships with our consumers, clients, customers, and communities that allows them to self-actualize because of what it is we do. And that's where I think the listeners to your program need to start considering changing their focus. It's not enough, as we said earlier, to have good products and services. That's key. But it stops after it gets you into the game. It's table stakes. Now we need to move further. Is this whole discussion, I mean, I just can't help but wonder if it's nuance or if it's really something kind of different or, you know, is, is the product the thing that causes the self-actualization or is it just a marketing changing kind of the framing? Let's I'm look at a it a little fuzzy on a few things. Let's look at it a different way. Uh, 20 years ago, if you wanted to market yourself, you needed to tell the world who you were and what you did. Men, brochures, 
billboards, radio spots, television, however you chose to do it. If you wanted me to do business with you, you had to take me to lunch or meet me for coffee or a drink and explain to me what it is you do. Because if you didn't blow your own horn, there wasn't very many other ways I could find out about you. Yes, someone might recommend you, but even so, they would say, hey, you should talk to my buddy Joel. And then what, right? So it was incumbent on you, on all of us, to market ourselves. Today, there's no need to do that. When a prospect shows up at your office, your store, meets you for a drink or meets you for coffee or lunch or whatever, they already know as much about you as they want to. And want to is the key, right? Because if they're the kind of people who want to know everything, the guys we call belt and suspender man, you know, they wear both just in case. They've been on your website. They've been on your LinkedIn profile. They've looked at your Facebook page. They have looked at, they've gone online and they know more about you than you do. If they're the kind of person who doesn't care about that, just wants a quick overview, they haven't. You no longer control that process. You do control the putting out the information, but you don't even really do that because Google and all these other aggregators have all this information about you that is now available. Before I came on your show, Did I look you up, see what you're about, look at your book, listen to some other episodes? Of course I did, because I wanted to know what the experience would be. You had nothing to do with any of that. You didn't market that. You didn't push that out there. It's out there. So consumers no longer need you to provide that information for them. Well, then in that vacuum, what are you going to do? How are you going to make a difference? Because just like I looked at you, I could look at 10 other people as well. And then I could make my decisions and those decisions may not benefit your business. So once again, I suggest that it's, it's critical that we establish this type of relationship where the people we're doing business with see the benefit to themselves of moving on with this. So in the old days, there, let's say there was 10 steps in the sales process, you know, meet the prospect, sit down with the prospect, educate the prospect, whatever the different steps were. And now we're kind of starting at step five. So step zero, you know, one through four uh, is taken care of on a self-service basis by the prospect. And now they're going to do step five, six, seven, and beyond. So what looks different? Are, are people still doing those face-to-face meetings? I mean, uh, does the conversation change? What's, what's different? And how do we kind of put into practice this concept, because I like the concept. I just, I'm struggling with how to put it in practice. So I'm going to give you two different models. First of all, let's create a new sales funnel. that has five steps, awareness, consideration, sales, retention, and referral. Awareness. They have to know who you are. The word's got to be out there. So you have to be on social media sites. You have to be producing blogs, podcasts, videos, whatever it takes to let people know who you are. Number two, consideration. Why should they consider you? In a lot of ways, that's what we used to call the sales process, right? You're going to send out information. You're going to send out proposals. You're going to meet them for lunch, whatever it takes. Sales, we all know what that is. That's actually making the sale being paid for what you do, monetizing your talents, abilities, products, and services. But then, of course, there's retention because today it's too easy for someone to go elsewhere. So it's not enough simply to make the sale. The idea is what is a lifetime customer worth and how do I make sure that I keep them within my funnel? And finally, referral. The real value is that they 
not only buy what we are selling, but as I said earlier, they are selling us because now all of our customers have the tools to sell us because they all have websites, they all have apps, they all have Facebook. So that's one part of it. We need to change that sales funnel to those simple five steps. Number two, there's a very simple algorithm that I want all of your listeners to write down and remember. And what I would recommend is you write this on a little yellow sticky pad and put it on your computer, put it on the dashboard of your car. I want you to think about this all the time. It's only five characters, two letters, CC, CC, the number two, and then again, CC. So it's CC to CC. This is the paradigm shift. And quite simply, it is company centric to T-O, and then based on your business, either consumer-centric, client-centric, customer-centric, or community-centric, based on the type of business you have and who you do business with. An attorney would be client-centric. A retailer would be customer-centric. So company-centric to, let's just say for the sake of argument, customer-centric for the time being. And what does that mean? So very simply... You take what it is you do and you're known for and you give it to your customer for them to identify themselves. Company centric is you. It's your business. It's your practice. It's your books. It's whatever it is that you provide to the world. It used to be that our marketing was company centric. We were like the little kid on the, on the high dive board at the pool in the summer. Hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. As we've pointed out, that no longer works. So you have to take that ability and give it to your customer. I'll give you a very simple example. So wait, let let me, so just for clarification. So this, this little uh, CC to to CC is move. It means move your business. It's a paradigm shift, move your business from thinking about yourself to thinking about your customers. So instead of saying, look how great we are. Instead, you're going to say, look at how great we're going to make you. That's exactly right. I mean, you might remember the title to my last book. Was I, think exactly about, I think about that all the time. Whenever I'm writing, whenever I'm putting something and I start using the word I, it's not about I, it's about the customer. So uh, it's a great book you wrote. And, and I think about that all the time. It's all about them by Bruce Turkel. That's a great book. So all about them is about that very simple paradigm shift. You stop thinking about yourself. You start thinking about them. You focus on them, but you take it a step further and you give them the ability to promote who they are and what they do to themselves and to others using what it is you provide. So give us an example. I can give you lots of examples. Okay. I mean, I mean the, the promote part, that's the part that, uh, I mean, I get about that you're going to focus on them instead of focus on you. But now how do you get them to take some action or whatever? Well, let me tell you how I do it because, you know, practice what we preach, right? Let me, let me show you right. what I do. It. You know, because we're all buddies, you know that one of my hobbies is I play in bands and I play the harmonica. And what you may or may not know is when I'm up on stage doing keynotes, I, one of my opening bits is I play a little thing on the harmonica. I play a piece by Johann Sebastian Bach, classical. And then I play a piece by Sonny Boy Williamson, a blues piece. The music is completely different, but the idea is that both pieces of music use the same seven notes. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. Because that's all there is. That's all the notes in Western music. 
And every piece of music's always use those notes, but you assemble them in different ways. Just like every business uses the same tools. We just use them in different ways. So I use that to make my point and to get people to have a good time and all of that. I then go on with the next 45 minutes of my talk. And then I tell people to reach under their chairs and pull out what they find, leave the gum. And we have had people tape harmonicas under all the chairs. And I teach them how to play this little ditty. Anybody can play it. It's a few inhales. It's a few exhales. It doesn't sound like anything. It's da, 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 da. That's all it sounds like. But I get everybody to do it. Once they learn how to do it, we hit the button on the, uh, on the iPod, and it's actually a Beatles song. And they can all play it. Because my point is, hey, it's got the same seven notes. You just have to know how to do it. You have these hidden talents, these hidden abilities, and you can do these things if you know how, just like I just showed you how you can market and build your brand. So now I've been in rooms of 300 people. I've been in rooms of 3,000 people, and they all play the harmonica. But what happens when they leave? What's the first thing they do when they get home and their husband or wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever, says, hey, Joel, how was the conference? What you, do wouldn't, they say? you wouldn't believe this guy. The guy was amazing. He got on 3,000 of us doing this certain thing, and I was able to do it too. <laughs> and watch. Watch what I can do. Yeah. And then they look, look amazing I am. <laughs> right, exactly. They look the song up on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, and they play along. Because everybody wants to be a rock star, but every time they do it, who are they thinking about? You. Exactly. Nobody ever throws the harmonicas away that I've given them. They put them on their desks. I've got some sitting right here on my desk. I use them. I give them away. I'm giving people a little bit of who I am. Now, here's the funny thing. The harmonica is not an intimidating instrument. So people are not, it's a fun instrument. By the way, it's really easy to be bad. It's not so easy to be good. <laughs> matter. They don't have to become virtuosos. Hell, I'm not a virtuoso. I'm only an okay player. But I'm taking a little bit about what I'm passionate about, what I am connected to, and I'm sharing it with them. CC, company-centric, that's me, too. Customer-centric to them. And they never forget it. Do they remember all the points I talked about, all the books I wrote, that I've been on TV 400 times, blah, 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 blah. No, they don't. Do they remember that I made them feel good about themselves because they can play a Beatles song? Absolutely. Hell yes, they do. Yes, they do. That's awesome. So really, and also there's, there's, a, there's an experience element there too, which, is, which really helps to reinforce the, the learning and the, the whole process. Very cool. Very, very cool. Every single person listening to this show can do the same thing. By same thing, I don't mean that they're going to take violins under chairs or whatever it is they play. They're going to take who they are. If they're bakers, it'll be their cookies. If they're marathon runners, it'll be something about running. You take a passion and you share it or their company and you share it with people in such a way that they can then express it. They feel good about themselves and they're out there marketing you. Hey, let me ask you a question on a different topic. Uh, you know, uh, you, you seem to look forward in time. I look forward in time. Do you consider yourself a futurist? Well, that's, it's funny you say that. I hear that a lot. Um, I think futurists, for the most part, are, what's the polite way to say BS on the radio or on, on air? Um, 
I think, you know, prognosticators, it's, it's like it's like the fortune teller who asks you your name. You know, if, if someone's going to tell me the future and they ask or read my mind and they ask my name, I'm leaving. Um, <laughs> no, I am not a futurist. I'm a presentist. I'm a currentist. I see what's going on right now. There's a great designer, a guy by the name of Robert Cumberford. He was an auto designer. He actually writes for Automobile Magazine today. And uh, one of the things he said was designers see things first. That's our job. And that's my background. I have a design degree and I grew up in the design business. And we are trained to see what's there, to see the patterns, to see what's developing and figure out what to do with it. How often does a new car come out or a new fashion come out and you go, man, that's hideous. I wouldn't be caught dead in that thing. And then three years later, you're driving it or you're wearing it. <laughs> and it yep. happens to all of us. Yep, yep. And it's because designers are trained to see what's going on right now and where that's leading. That's not futurism. That's currentistism, if that's a word, or yeah. presentistism. That's what I am. Yeah. Well, listen, this is the inside track on kind of the next level of marketing and where it's going. And I really appreciate how you kind of developed that and kind of shared some of your ideas. And uh, it's the way that our audience profits from the inside which again, credit to you for that. So thank you. thank you very much. Hey, listen, Bruce, it's really been a pleasure. We're going to put your contact information in the show notes. If anybody wants you for a keynote, for any other uh, the great work that you do, uh, they can reach out to you. So thank you very much for being on the show and for being with us here this morning. I would love that. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.